Coming up this week on the Course of Life podcast, our front nine includes a classic PGA Tour track that is getting way too easy. Plus, golf had a big week on social media, talking Cat Williams, Jersey Jerry, and everything in the news that we loved. Life and content updates from us both, and the Golden Globes recapped in 60 seconds. This week's guest is Mark Dondero from WEEI, formerly WPRI, and, and a lot of questions surrounding Bill Belichick right now. Mark has a very interesting relationship with Belichick himself. We get into that and when we always end with food, it's my January diet update and a baking challenge for my co-host and all of it is brought to you by our friends at Desert Fox Golf, makers of the phone caddy, makers of the swing a tumbler, makers of the cigar holder and all the great accessories that you need to make your golf round complete. They truly are great for any golfer of any ability. It's the best phone holder in golf period, but they do so much more and you can have these great Desert Fox Golf products not only to yourself by checking out the website desertfoxgolf.com, but you can have them at your next event. That's right, if you're playing an event or a tournament or a large scramble or a group event or a member guest or anything like that at your club and you need better swag for your swag bag just hit us up on instagram at col podcast that's right just send us a message ask about desert fox golf and we'll tell you all the ways we can help hook you up with desert fox gear for your next golf event as well so again check out our friends at desert fox golf interwebs and welcome to course of life we are proud to be presented by our friends at desert fox golf and the live take app i'm michael he's alex and alex before we tee off let's uh let's just do a little check-in how how you feeling we're a week into january how's the diet have we lost the 20 pounds yet uh, not 20, maybe 2.2 and just that perfect amount of miserable that everyone is that's going through the, the January diet right now. You get over the hump maybe after like day three or four, but getting past that first weekend and into week number two, Mike, it's <laughs> only for the strong and only the strong will survive this month. So I wish everyone luck out there and hopefully you're, you're fighting off the cravings as vigorously as I am right now. You know, I think uh, sugar-free gum is a good assistant Okay. During this, because it just gives you that mouth movement. So you're going to feel like you're eating when you're not eating. It's a time um, passer. I like that. Yeah, not a bad yeah. idea. I'll take that to the bank. Okay. That's what it is. Uh, but hey, the PGA Tour was back. Golf yes. kicked off the 2024 season at the Century at Kapaluau. And I said it last week. I said, like, even though this is a signature event now, it really is a hit and giggle and 29 under par. Yeah, I know. It's like, listen, I enjoy coming back to golf and seeing the birdies and the eagles, but it really is a demolition by the PGA Tour pros, especially when they don't get quite the breeze that they normally do. And yeah, 29 under par for four rounds. Yikes. Yeah. And it didn't Scotty Scheffler even have, you know, the one there's always someone who drives hits at like 400 yards on one of the holes here. Yep. There was a 477 yard Max Homa drive too, as well. Yeah. That's not a that's not a miscount right there. 477 down the hill, literally down the volcano, if you will, at Kapalua. Uh, so there were some crazy numbers to be had. Uh, Sung J.M. set the birdie record. I think he had 34 birdies in four rounds. Just 
just absurd numbers coming out of week one of 2024. It has me asking the question, I don't know, do they need to do something to the plantation course? Is this too easy? It, it is definitely approaching that level in recent years. You know, it, it it's too easy to me to be a signature event. A signature event should be difficult. These guys shouldn't challenge. be at 20. Yeah, there should be challenge here. We shouldn't be hitting mid 60s for every single round here. That's just that's too much. Par it, five, 65 golf course. You don't like that? <laughs> you know, I think the answer actually is instead of them changing the course, just make it a par 66. Yeah, seriously. Prom, make it a par 66 or just swap it and make the Sony open at Wailai because that, that's there the real go. test in Hawaii, which uh, we'll get to in a little bit. That's coming up this week on the PGA Tour. Um, there's a few funky uh, golf headlines that made yep. their way through social media and they're all over the place just showcasing how truly diverse this game is. Um, wh- which direction do you want to start? Do you want to laugh at a live player? You want to talk Tiger? You want to talk celebrities? What are you feeling here? Well, you know, I always like to laugh at at Patrick Reed and live golf. And, you know, we knew that these lawsuits that Patrick Reed brought against uh, so many in the golf world, including uh, Chambly and Gannat and Golf Week and all these other things. It was just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You know, it's, it's just part of that culture now that, oh, you made me feel bad. So I'm going to sue you for everything and tell you you're dumb. Yeah. And, and that, uh, that goes and on every judge, side of the aisle, yeah. too. Yeah. And the judge threw it out. The judge said, uh, nope, you're the dumb one. You didn't uh, rise to the occasion to prove that something bad was done to you. And by the way, you're a public you're a public person. So more can be said about you than you'd like to be said about you. And we're going to throw your case out. and You got to pay everybody's fees. So pay up. that was the whopper on the end is not only yeah. are we throwing this case out at, for, for the time that you've wasted for everyone, Patrick Reed, for these silly defamation lawsuits against media members just doing their job. We're actually going to make you pay them money back. That must have absolutely gritted his teeth to no level. He must be be blowing his brains out at the thought that he actually has to pay the guys that he had sued months ago. Yeah, and and uh, I think what's hilarious, of course, is that uh, Patrick Reed's lawyer has said they're gonna they're gonna appeal. <laughs> they're oh yeah, that's ruling. great. Uh, and <laughs> they're gonna mid. they're gonna keep going up the quote dishonest and unethical fake news golf media in the hip pocket of and dependent on the PGA Tour must be held to account for the callous and malicious attempts to destroy Mr. Reed. I mean, <laughs> that's a, a lot of words one. there. There's a lot of words there. That guy, man, you know, like bl- bless him for getting the masters because like he is just he has found a way to be in the annoying golf headlines year yep. in and year out. And it, it ceases to, ex- to, 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 um, stop with Patrick Reed. So another funny one from the world of golf. Let, let's get to tiger real quick. Cause yeah. this is big news that just dropped before we started recording tiger and Nike, Mike peanut butter and jelly, you know, uh, a burger and a Coke things that just forever go together. But after 27 years, tiger and Nike, no moss, your nope. thoughts. Uh, well, I, I, I have an announcement to make, Alex. Oh, exciting. Tiger Woods has signed with Course of Life. He's not going to rep our, our, our logo and our stuff on the golf course. Yeah, we didn't want to wait. We wanted to wait yeah. till the right moment to drop the news. Um, obviously, subscribers are going to come flocking in now that that news yep. has been officially voided on a podcast. So yes, he is signed. Uh, we're still working on the merch line that he's going to rock at the Genesis, but we got a few yep. weeks to figure that out. Um, so it's it's the end of the run for Tiger and Nike, the swoosh 
it's seemingly no longer going to be on Tiger Woods. If I speak seriously for a moment on it, honestly, I think he's going to come with like his own line. It, it's giving me that well, vibe yeah. that he, he may partner with some brand, but it's going to be something that's his with his name on it or his logo only. And it's going to be Tiger Woods Enterprise dot LLC dot incorporated dot co. And it's going to have his brand all over it, I think. Well, yeah. And it's going to be uh, nothing but red and black. That's the only colors, red and black everywhere. Imagine if he just went with a standard uniform, just Sunday red all week, no matter what day it is. <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that really kind of kind of um, make that Sunday red less special, though? It would. But honestly, it probably would make it a lot more, even more popular than it already is, if you can believe yeah. it. It's a it's an extremely generic thing that would never happen in this this universe. But in an alternate universe, uh, Tiger Sunday red and black forever could be a thing. Yeah, that's true. So Tiger and Nike done donezo. Um, the other thing I think all of us should be donezo with is what Cat Williams was preaching about. Thank you. Thank uh, you. He was he was asked by by Shannon Sharp, right? Shannon Sharp. This is, is that who this was? this interview, Mike, <laughs> is would normally not come up on a course of life episode no. when a, a former football player and a stand up comedian are talking. But when it's the most viewed podcast video and maybe podcast episode like in the history of podcasts, Mike, 35 million views on YouTube of this interview with Cat Williams and Shannon Sharp. How about that yeah. for, for some numbers? And, and, and I have several problems with uh, Shannon Sharp, uh, but we'll talk just about during this <laughs> clip in, that I saw of, of the podcast. <laughs> um, and that is that Shannon Sharp asked Cat Williams, found out that Cat Williams plays golf, and yep. it said to him, do you play the tips? First of all, why are we encouraging people to play the tips? Why? <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man, a man's man, an NFL alum. He's not playing why, anything but the tips. <laughs> why are we saying that you have to be – it makes you more of a man to play the tips. I think it makes you more of a – I don't even want to say man because then that sounds – you know, that's not, that's not what we say anymore, right? I, I think it, it, it makes you more of a strong individual to recognize your talent or lack thereof mm. and what brings you the most joy. And for Cat Williams, that's playing the most forward tees there is. And yeah, I quote, adore him for it. I, I love Mike, Mike adoring Cat Williams in this podcast. Amazing <laughs> thing I never thought would happen. But yeah, his take I, on golf was essentially, listen, they're not giving me anything extra to go play yeah. from further away. And, and the quote was a one in a million moment. So if you haven't seen the interview, be, be sure to check out Cat Williams because essentially letting us know he plays it forward. He can make par. He's got a great short game. You don't get anything extra for playing the tips. That's right. I'm talking to you out there. The 25 handicap with the 185-yard slice that insists on playing the back tees every Saturday morning. I'm talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We go from stories that I think are worth talking about. Let's go to one that you're going to want to talk about and I want absolutely nothing to do with, and that's Jersey Jerry. Yep, Jersey Jerry, Barstool Sports, the hole-in-one stream that captivated the world. And this was an interesting thing in that it proved how freaking difficult this game of golf is. Essentially, the Barstool Sports personality was just banging balls into a simulator, trying to see when he could first make a hole-in-one. And it ended up taking him, Mike, over 37 hours and 2,627 swings. He, he really had to move the goalposts, literally. He started at 150 yards, and by the time he finally 
finally made the hole in one. It was at an 85 yarder from from the four tees at, at the seventh hole at Pebble Beach. So it it took a lot for him just to make that ace after 37 hours. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't care. Also, also, I, I guess we could go down the rabbit hole of does an ace on a simulator count? And that that was that was actually a funny debate during the stream, Mike. And they were they were debating that, and they were also wondering, does the simulator just have hole in one turned off, or is like hole in one just like turned off the day on the simulator? <laughs> they, they were really getting into each other's heads uh, after a lack of sleep two days in. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's up for debate. I'm sure my buddy Ed at Pin Seekers would say it absolutely does count, but. The people have spoken, Mike. I put out the idea, should I do a stream like this at Pen Seekers? I've never received so much feedback and votes on a poll on Instagram at Course of Life Alex of people in favor of me doing the uh, can't sleep until you get a hole in one stream. Uh, so maybe it's in the future. Maybe I just start with 100 balls and we'll go from there. Just so you know, Alex, I voted no on that stream. I saw that. And like literally the whole other world wants to see me fail and see me struggle on, on live camera in the form of golf. So uh, we'll see if there's a, a hole in one stream coming from me. I don't know if it's quite going to be 37 hours, but uh, stay tuned. All right, let's uh, talk about things that are actually happening uh, in your backyard, your literal backyard. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm actually talking about the yard behind your house in Austin, Texas. Yeah, something amazing is happening. We've had an extremely wet and warm winter here in central Texas. The grass is as green as it's been all year long, and the backyard course is in mint condition. I'm just here to report that and really not much else. You'll see photos of it occasionally in my Instagram stories uh, and on social on Twitter at Course of Life One. Uh, but the exciting thing is the New Year's resolution. I found this little path. It's an area that used to just be old crumpled up leaves that I never minded, but it dawned on me that behind my shed, there is just enough rim mic for one epic mini golf hole. So my 2024 golf resolution, first and foremost, is I'm adding a mini golf hole to the backyard. Big things to come. All right. I'm uh, I'm excited to see what happens here. You know, we've had a couple of mini golf people on, so you should really get them to be telling you how to design this. I already got a little bit from Tom at the AMA who we had on previously. So the yep. the personalities that be are chiming in with their words of wisdom. If anyone else out there has built a mini golf hole as well too. Please hit me up with any and all suggestions, Mike. I'm now in that great spot uh, of my algorithm though, that I'm getting all sorts of man caves, backyard putting greens and backyard golf setups whenever I log on to social. And let me tell you, I'm not mad at it at all. There are some amazing <laughs> man caves and backyards out there. Wow. Well, you know, uh, Costco sells a uh, full simulator. So you could get a little, you could get a man shed, a gol golf 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 grotto is wow. that what we can call it maybe yeah i mean yeah. that's it's tempting that's tempting hey sponsors out there i would love yeah. to showcase this entire process who, of putting a simulator in my backyard help me out please who who was at the pga show a number of years ago and brought the uh the pub who was that that's right yeah our friends yeah. at uh oh oh hey girl oh greg or oh pub or yeah though we love those guys in ireland the make your own pub experience yeah, be sure to look them up uh, hey, let's talk YouTube real fast. Uh, you know, your video from your time uh, in Dripping Springs, Texas, hitting golf balls directly into a bus. So much um, fun. Thankfully, none of them came back and hit you in the head. Uh, that one is up there. It's live right now. People are watching it and liking it. You should go do that as well. 
And uh, of course, you were you were in Boston for the holidays, so we're going to get a look at that coming up soon on YouTube, right? Yeah, the newest Top Golf to open. Honestly, mm. it's in Canton, Mass. You know, there that, that mm. one twenty eight ninety three split down there, just south of yeah. Boston. Uh, really cool. Got trains going by in the video. Um, hitting golf balls with heated couches and heated lamps overhead at Top Golf. There's really not much better on a pre Christmas day. So you see my whole holidays back, and and also Mike hitting golf balls at my house. That's right. Hitting golf balls at my house on this week's video o- on our YouTube. Over Be sure to subscribe. At. Over or, or, or at? Both. Okay. Get ready. How's, how's your insurance? Good. We're good. We're good. They were all wedges, and I still have a good short game. That's all you need to know. Before we get to tuned in, let's just real real quick talk about this yep. week's Sony Open uh, in Hawaii. They're gonna they're gonna stay there on the island, yep, and, yep. and it's noticeable because uh, Will Zelatoris will be back his first time back since Good playing the uh, the WGC Dell Technologies match play. Yeah, Jesus, that tells you how long it's been. Yeah. Tournament's been extinct for ten months. I yeah, know. he's been battling <laughs> battling back injuries for the better part of like two years now. So it'll be good to see Zalatoris back. And I actually, and there's another guy who's kind of suffering from that right too. And you recognize his name because he just dropped yeah. off the face of the earth. Daniel Berger, kind of going through a mm. similar thing as Will Zalatoris right now. So we're wishing Berger the best of luck, and hopefully he makes a return like Will did as well. The other big name returning to the Sony Open is Gary Woodland, who had brain surgery in September, has not played on tour since the Wyndham Championship in August. Uh, this is this is just amazing that he's coming back on tour this quickly. Yeah, it is. Big time Iron Man stuff. Um, we're going to hear probably a lot more this week about what that recovery was like. So always love a good inspirational story. And like you mentioned, second week in Hawaii, love Hawaii golf in the evenings, primetime action on the Golf Channel. And our boy Dylan Wu teeing it up to start his 2024. He had a good finish here last year. So watch out for Dylan Wu on the leaderboards this week. And uh, Wednesday evening, we'll get the picks up on Twitter at Course of Life 1 and uh, on threads as well, Course of Life Alex. Uh, let's talk Golden Globes and tuned in here. Uh, it was last night. We're recording on Monday, so it was on a Sunday night. It's yep, now yep. on CBS instead mm-hmm. of NBC. It's now part of Dick Clark Productions. It's not okay. really the Hollywood Foreign Press anymore because we all got mad at them. We did. Because uh, they were very white. Um, and uh, they went ahead and gave all the awards to the white scientist who invented a nuclear bomb. Yeah, Oppenheimer <laughs> cleaned up in, in a word, in a sentence, in a thought. And The Bear also cleaned up, a, a show yep. that I'm a big fan of. The, the headline right off the bat, Mike, I don't know uh, if you've seen any Joe Coy comedy at all. Joe Coy, stand-up comedian, host of the Golden Globes on eight days' notice. Definitely made a point to mention it, but overall, unfortunately... Mm, I'm going to call it a bomb. He kind of bombed the monologue and hosting experience. I know he was on short notice, so he probably was dealt the short end of the straw. But yeah, Oppenheimer and the bear cleaned up in, in our in our Barbie movie, Mike. Yeah. What happened there? I don't know. It's like Billie Eilish got love, which was great. I, yeah. I would have liked to have seen Ryan Gosling win for for best original song that would be great my, but i am ken off's ken off shirt on right now as we record mm, i'm not was, wearing mine but i do have it in the in there and then we did get for christmas we did get the barbie soundtrack record so we have been listening to that a lot so nice cool and honestly i would have picked the dua lipa song over billy eilish's and they kind of got a fakeish award that was new you know the movie fans award for what they did in the box office which was amazing yeah. but it just felt like a little bit of a consolation prize so yeah overall oppenheimer uh, in the end, maybe getting the last laugh in the Barbenheimer debate of 2023. It's just, uh, you know, it's how it goes sometimes. On to the next one. Yep.
All right, let's uh, get to the turn and let's talk to, with uh, this week's guest. We're going to talk more football after the interview, but you're going to talk football during the interview too because you got a you got a sports reporter and a radio host from New England uh, who who just is uh, knows Coach Bill Belichick, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, what a timely person to have on the show, right? It's not like Bill Belichick's in the news for anything, is he at all? Or you know, uh, I don't know. Is he still is he still coaching there? Have they made a decision yet? They might well, by we, the time we, we, po- they might by the time the podcast comes out. So we'll see. <laughs> regardless, this is a really cool backstory with our next guest, Mark Dondero, WEI currently, formerly WPRI. But you know those Bill Belichick press conferences, Mike. They're always mm. a doozy. You know how. Different difficult he is with the media. So Mark takes a very different approach and always has to his dealings and uh, press conference questions directed at one Bill Belichick. And I I love him for it. We get into that and a lot more with Mark Dandera. We'll get to that conversation with Mark in just a second. But first, let's talk to you about Live Take. This is the app where sports debates are solved once and for all. And uh, when you fire up the app, Alex, the first thing you see is just uh, these kind of yes or no questions that people post on there, like who's going to win the game tonight? Is uh, who's, mm, yeah, who's know. you know, is this the Who end of like the playoffs check in New England? Who do you like in the playoffs? Yes or no questions. You vote. You see what other people are voting. You can submit these questions in there yourself for people to vote on. But the thing that we do every week as well is is an actual live take. It's the namesake of the app. And that's where we, in our own little corners of the world, sit with our phones next to ourselves and we talk into them about a topic for however long we feel is appropriate. And then we let you, the internet, decide who's right and who's wrong. They're, they're the judge, the jury, and the executioner in this one. Like I always say on the Live Take app, we love getting our debates on there. We did a win versus rain, which one is worse to play golf in? Which which yep. one would you rather be in? I don't know. That was our debate this past week. So there's always fun golf, sports, and pop culture debates going on with us and all the other contributors. Again, it's the Live Take app. You can download it right now for free. No cost at all. You can join, challenge us, uh, vote on our debates, and challenge us to a Live Take of your own as well. The Live Take app. We love it. Yep. Uh, find us on their COL podcast, Alex, COL yep. podcast, Michael, uh, and uh, downloaded today from your app store, Live Take, Let Your Take Be Heard. Next up on the tee, he's a radio host I've heard on WEIFM in Boston. He's always got good hot takes on New England sports scene. And according to his bio, he's the only broadcast pro to play golf at Pebble Beach and basketball at Rucker Park. That's fascinating. It's Mark Dundero joining us on The Course of Life. Mark, how are you doing today? Great, Alex. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. How are you? Absolutely. Doing really well. Always great to connect with the Boston personality. And that tagline got me on your Twitter. You can find him there, Mark Dundero as well. Uh, tell me, which came first for you, the golf at Pebble Beach or the basketball at Rucker Park? It was the basketball at Rucker Park. So throughout, and I'm actually, just for some background, I have a baseball background um, through college, but I was in high school, college, uh, we played a lot of like pickup basketball. I never played organized basketball in my life, but we played a lot of okay. pickup basketball um, and ended up in college. It was July 4th, 2006. Uh, my friend and I were in New York. We had played um, some basketball at different street courts throughout the country. And we were like, let's go to, let, I mean, I wonder what they're doing at Rucker Park today. So we were in Manhattan. We took a train all the way out to Harlem. 
and ended up at Rucker. They were having a big 4th of July barbecue in the park area and a nice. ton of uh, just open run basketball. So we jumped in for a big part of the afternoon and started playing basketball. And it was it was a, a memory that we have uh, worth a lifetime, I guess, because it's on my Twitter feed. Yeah, any shots, highlights, or crossover moments? Uh, yeah, I mean, I that's hit- a place where that's a place where legends are born, and NBA stars still go to to play these to this day. So, <laughs> legends are born. I did hit the game winning three pointer in one of the games. I remember that. That was a big uh, a big moment for me in my non basketball career. But it was fun. It was just it wasn't anything official. It was just pickup games, but it was intense. I mean, everybody out there, you know, I felt like was out there regularly. They were regulars, and they knew what they were doing, and they were playing a brand of basketball that I expected. It was a, it was a, a rough and physical style that I, I, I wouldn't, I didn't thrive in, but I was, I was able to make a couple shots. So um, it was, you know, we had played it in the video games, NBA street back in the day. Oh, yeah, and it was cool definitely. to see it live and to experience it sort of in real time. And it was, like I said, that, that Twitter tagline or whatever is unconfirmed. Maybe there's somebody else in the media, but I feel like a high end course like Pebble beach and going to Rucker park to play basketball and pick up ball probably in rare air in terms of media members that have done that. So that's why I put it up. Yeah. And I was curious about the Pebble Beach thing because everyone always squawks about the current dollar figure on playing there. Was that a, was that a free invite round for you or did you actually pay the full greens fee on that one? No, no, no. So this was the story behind that was my, one of my college baseball teammates grew up right out in that area in the greater Sacramento area. So when school got when I, you know, graduated college, I told them I go out and visit them I went out there. I stayed with them for a weekend. Then that Monday, I drove out to wherever it is, Carmel, and I played Pebble Beach. It was a $500 round. I remember the the night before I left for California, I lost. I left my debit card in the ATM. I'll never forget that. Oh. So I went to, I had to get out there. I went to a Bank of America. I got out 500 and something dollars in cash just for that round. I got to Pebble Beach. I put it all down on the counter. They thought I was some high roller rolling up. Um, and it was a six hour round. I walked, but it was awesome. The only regret I have, Alex, this was sort of young into my golf career. So I didn't have my own clubs. I wasn't very good, but I didn't know how many more times Mm. I'd be out in the area. Um, so I had some banner moments. I parred the eighth hole. Um, so that was, you know, that's one of the nice work. Tough par four over water there. Yeah. yeah. I hit a miracle four iron from about 200 yards over the water, (laughs) over the cliffs, just landed like on the top right hand side of the green and had this, I don't want to call it a miracle two putt, but a pretty impressive, timely two putt for par on that one. So that was sort of the highlight, even though I think I shot like a 108. Yeah. N- not bad considering your amateur status in, in the game there to have that highlight yeah, on eight of all holes too. I appreciate not my that. Own clubs. I, I it, it wasn't my own clubs either. And I actually, afterwards, I, there was like a thing in golf magazine or something that highlighted the eighth hole. So I took like a whiteout pen and I drew exactly where my shot track was. And I, I wrote that I got a four and I framed it. Uh, my wife makes fun of me, but I love that picture of me. Picture of very cool. There was a funny golf thing that just happened this week on social media as well, where Jersey Jerry, a member of the Barstool Sports staff, he actually was going on a simulator and seeing how long it would take him to make a hole in one. And he was playing the seventh at Pebble Beach, and it took him about 37 hours, close to a day and a half worth of golf, over 2,000 swings. How long do you think it would take you to make an ace on that seventh par three down the hill there? Well, I mean, Dwayne Wade did it, and how many? I mean, I've never had a hole in one and, and to tell you the, I mean, I've hit a lot of good shots. I've never had a hole in one. I've never even come close to a hole in one. Honestly, not really. Um, 
So I, I would think, yeah, Jersey Jerry or whatever. It'd probably be more than that for me. I'd probably get frustrated. I respect his grind and how he was able <laughs> yeah. to kind of just persevere through all the adversity there. Um, I have no idea how I would react to my 37th hour of trying to make a hole-in-one. So that might not have gone very uh, smoothly for me. Something to think about next time anyone out there goes and plays Pebble. Um, that was really cool to see. I love that tagline. So I, I, I originally this. heard... Yeah, go ahead. I wish I could go out to Pebble Beach and play the seventh hole for 37 hours straight and just keep trying. I'll tell you that. It is beautiful. Got to look at it full on this week. Uh, very cool stuff. Mark, I'm curious. So I got to hear you uh, over the holiday break on WEI when I was back visiting family in the Boston area. I also know that you you did a little bit of teaching and broadcasting as well, too, with the Connecticut School Broadcasting. I'm curious, you know, that doing that teaching, uh, has that kind of reinvigorated or given a little bit of different perspective to, to the career in media you're doing right now? I mean, it certainly hasn't reinvigorated anything. Um, and if anything, it made it, it was kind of depressing because it just highlighted, and this school that I was teaching at went under during the pandemic, which was very disappointing. And the program yeah. was really great. It was a good program. Oh, it's um, a famous school. The problem was, Alex, it was the, the business, as you know, was so, it was changing so much and it was evolving mm. so rapidly and it made it hard for some of those students, a lot of whom aren't very young. You know, some of them came in, they were older than me. They were in their thirties, career change, trying to chase a passion they've always had, whatever it was. Um, and it was just hard for them. I think a lot of, a lot of the people that went to that school thought that they graduate and somebody would make a phone call and get them a job, which wasn't the case. Um, it's just not realistic. And, it just it highlighted how much the business had changed and how difficult it is to make it and to really get a good job that you can do full time all the time in a situation that works for you in terms of a lifestyle. Um, but it was fun being around. It, it did reinvigorate me, I guess, in a little bit being around people that's that wanted it so bad. And you feel yeah. like grateful that you had an opportunity to um, to do some of that work, even if it wasn't in a full time capacity. So I guess that was something. I've never really thought about it in that way, but that was something that was um, eye-opening to me. But it was a good experience. It was good people you were around. And yeah, I miss doing it. I miss teaching those people. Explain a little bit uh, to our audience about your time in Rhode Island as well and, and WPRI as a, a station. Our national audience is probably really curious what it's like covering sports for a station and in Rhode Island specifically, but explain kind of Rhode Island's proximity to you know everything going on in the New England Patriots world and New England sports as well and kind of how that affected your reporting there. It's an interesting market um, because it is so close to Boston, but it's not Boston. Um, it was a great place. It was a it's a great town to cover sports in because you have all the access to the Boston pro teams, but you still have that college vibe, college town feel with Providence basketball and URI basketball, um, which was really great. I wasn't a, I was never a big college basketball person, but I became a bigger one after being there and covering those teams. Um, I had a ton of fun covering the Dan Hurley era at Rhode Island and obviously the um, Ed Cooley too at Providence. And nice, it was just yeah. fun covering those guys and seeing the ascent of Dan Hurley. And obviously he's become this legend now. He's this huge name, but covering him at the, I mean, he was still a big name then. He was wildly successful, but covering him at that level, now seeing what he's doing at UConn is really cool. We'll see what Ed Cooley can do at Georgetown. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, you know, you're a little bit, you're one of the, you're like a little brother. You're viewed as sort of the little engine that could in Providence versus some of the Boston stations that have a lot more resources. I remember I try to, you know, submit one of my stories for like an Emmy 
And it was a story that I shot, I edited, I wrote, I produced, I did, you know, all the reporting. One man show, and yeah. One man band, and you're going up against Boston that has a team of reporters or whatever, cameramen, <laughs> producers, field producers, and I would lose every time. But it was it was a great thing. It was a great way to cover some of the teams that I had rooted for growing up. Um, it got me back into the market. I was a beat reporter for the Patriots, which was, you know, essentially a dream come true for five years. Um and it taught me a lot. So I, I really cherish those years with that I was at WPRI and the work that I did there. And I love the, the packages that I'd have to create day in and day out and, you know, finding ways to be creative, to incite emotion in the viewer and finding a creative way to get the viewer interested in what we were putting on the air. And all of that was just awesome. And I miss it. It was great. Very cool. Yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on with your covering the Patriots as well, specifically, is I want you to reframe a story that some of our audience may or may not know about a question that you asked Bill Belichick that kind of got a lot of circulation. It, it made waves in Boston, but not only on not only there on a national scale, even got to Jimmy Kimmel as well to explain the backstory of kind of what happened there in that question specifically. So let me let me just so the Jimmy Kimmel thing was different. And there's actually a backstory to that, that I don't really talk about that publicly, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story. Cause it's interesting. I'd love to hear it, yeah. um, so the, the Kimmel thing was a scenario that unfolded where they were, the Patriots were playing the Carolina Panthers in October of 2017. It was a game at Gillette stadium and their defense was terrible. Okay, their defense hadn't been good for a few games, and it was yep. bad again. They lost like 33 maybe, to 30. Maybe yeah, Cam Pages Newton did. beat them or something like that, right? Yeah, Cam Newton beat them. 33 to 30, I remember, was the final score, and they looked awful defensively. So I'm going into this. It's a Sunday night, and I'm like, how do I portray this? What can I do to be creative? So what I do is I talk to the producer. I talk to the director, and I say to them, I'm going to stage a bunch of mistakes, you know, audio, technical malfunctions, whatever. And that's going to be the lead into the highlight. So I stage a bunch of mistakes. And then at the end of the on-camera lead-in, because the camera, they stayed on me the whole time as planned. At the end of it, I said, okay. So that was basically the TV equivalent of what the Patriots defense looked like on Sunday. So that was the punchline. <laughs> then from there, we went into the highlights. And you can find this on my Twitter. So that, so that happened. And people that saw it blew up on Twitter, my social media. They loved it. They thought it was creative. It was a funny way to go about it. So then the, fast forward a few days later, this like nothing website that covers media, you know, some watchdog website that covers local media and the people that screw up and they try to make fun of people that look bad on, on local TV. They, air, they like put it on their website. I didn't know this. So they put it on their website. That's on a Tuesday. On a Wednesday, you know, the people I'm working for see it, but they don't see it till later in the day. So I don't hear about it. Now, at this point, I'm off and it's a Wednesday going into a Thursday. I'm off because sometimes, especially during the football season, my day offs, uh, days off would be like middle of the week because you you work sense, on the weekends. Yeah. You're covering the games. So I was off Wednesday going into Thursday. I wake up on Thursday morning. And my phone is absolutely on fire. It's blown up. People overnight <laughs> noticed that Jimmy Kimmel picked up that lead in and they featured it. So oh, I get a call it. from I get a call from my work at WPRI. And the guy says he was like, you got to take down that that lead in you posted from Twitter 
And I'm, I'm like laughing at him because I'm like, that's the legitimately, arguably at that time, the most successful thing I'd ever posted on social media. I'm Absolutely. like, people loved it. I had like saved all the comments. It was so good. People loved it. They knew what I was doing. They loved it. It was hilarious. They, I got all these comments. Literally people saying to me, I got to start watching WPRI more. Um, anyway, so cool. he says, you got to take it down because this website has picked it up and they they put it on their website and we look bad. So I'm like, oh, bleep. I don't know if I can swear. I was like, oh, crap. They don't realize what happened. So I had to then inform him that it wasn't just this website that picked it up, this nothing website. I was like, Jimmy Kimmel aired it last night on his show live. So then it, it just a, a bleep storm unfolded and they like had to circle the wagons unnecessarily because it was something that I was, it's one of the honestly most proudest moments of my career. That's um, amazing. But they did not like it. They thought that I put the station in a negative light because I staged a mess up. And I actually got suspended two days without pay. And That's it was actually laughable. That moment, it was that moment. I remember I went home that night and I said to my wife, I was like, when my contract is up in April, I was like, I don't think I can do this here anymore. Because they, th the lack of support and that mentality, the fact that I literally had people saying, I'm going to have to leave. I watched Channel 10, which is the big channel in Providence that everybody watches. I'm going to stop watching Channel 10 and start watching you people. I had people tweeting that at me and I'm getting suspended <laughs> without it was the, it was a, a farce. It was an awful thing. And I felt terrible and I couldn't believe it happened. And that was the story behind that. As far as the Belichick questions, there were a bunch of questions that would get national play. But one of them I asked, he like buried me on. Um, and I got like eviscerated and it went on all the now Dan Patrick picked it up and he had me on talking about it. Rich Eisen and Julian Edelman were having a laugh on the Rich Eisen show about it. Um, and it, I didn't regret it. Like I just, you know, he, he pinned me, he pinned me down in a corner and I rephrased the question and he buried me because he didn't want to answer the question, which happened multiple times. Oh, that yeah. just happened to get picked up by the, the national media. Um, and I actually, after the fact, wrote an article like a like a feature article for the website about what exactly happens to your life after Bill Belichick eviscerates you at a press comp conference publicly and it was an interesting like I, I take you through each moment leading up to it afterwards what happens who talks to you who reaches out to you what they say all these things you can look it up um Type in Belichick body slam WPRI and the, the article will come up. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I appreciate the perseverance and I like that you leaned into it amidst the adversity. You took it on the chin very nicely. So I, thank you for yeah. rephrasing that moment. And and I want to speak about that kind of relationship that you have with Coach Belichick via the press conference moments. As, as we talk right now, we're not really sure about his coaching status and future, but just tell me a little bit about and, and, and describe to our audience what that unique relationship is like when you're popping in there and getting those opportunities to ask questions to him at press conferences. So it's funny, Alex, I've never met him in person. Um, mm. Everyone else during that era, I talked to in person, you know, Brady, Gronk, all the guys in the locker room, yep. you would have instances where you had a chance to either introduce yourself or talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. I never had that opportunity with Bill Belichick. I feel like one day it'll happen. Um, I'll run into him at the grocery store or something. But I thought yep. we had a very good working rapport and I, I really respected it. And I, I, I loved going to his press conferences and I have no idea. I probably annoyed him. I know I annoyed him at times, but I think I had a pretty 
I'd like to think he respected my approach. Like I went right at him and I tried to, you know, not to, I don't want to, you know, I, I thought though that I did a good job of trying some stuff that nobody really at the time was trying. And I tried to make right. his press conferences more consumable, if that makes any sense. Cause I knew he wasn't going to ever answer your questions. And as an interviewer or reporter, you never want to be part of the story necessarily, but when the, when the person you're asking the questions to isn't going to answer them and you know that, you've got to make the questions sort of part of the story. So by default, you're becoming part of the story. And I tried to do that to try to make our interactions more entertaining. And a lot of people were entertained. They'd what you know, when they knew I was asking a question, their antenna would go up and they would be like, all right, what's going to happen today? What's he going to ask today? Um, I you love know, that. Yeah, you, I mean, like, you did a great job. Kind of, you, what you did is you kind of craft questions to either kind of get a little bit of a different vibe or a giggle out of him. Just kind of break him out of his shell is what you did a really good job of. Um, so, what, what was the actual process for kind of putting those questions together to kind of just you know give that give that chocolate in what's usually a super vanilla press conference with him? Well, you would you would go into a lot of planning beforehand, and you think about it, and you were always very prepared with specifically how you wanted to word the question. And I remember I would just think about exactly what was either what was going on at the time or what exactly I wanted to use in terms of the wording to, to mm. execute the question, to make it as either funny or whatever as possible. Like, for example, I remember we showed up for a Wednesday press conference once and they were setting up for a Bruce Springsteen concert. So at the end of the press conference, I think they were playing the Dolphins that weekend. Of course, he's talking about football and running back depth and all the different things. At the end, I was like, so I was like, I'm just curious, Bill. Have you ever gone wild at a Bruce Springsteen concert? I didn't just ask, have you ever been to a Bruce Springsteen concert? Yes, have gone, you ever wild. gone wild. Because that puts an image in the in the mind of the viewer of not just Bill Belichick standing there, but maybe Bill Belichick having a beer shirt off, twirling it above his head as he's as yes. Springsteen sings The Rising. And you're just, it's a funny so no matter what Belichick answers with, you've already sort of won. Even if he just snorts at you and doesn't say anything. But in that instance, he laughed and was like, I've been to some wild Springsteen concerts. And then that it's up great. to you to imagine whatever it is that you can imagine, you know, how he was like at a, at a wild Springsteen concert back in the day. So I, I really enjoyed that part of the job. I missed doing that part of the job. And if he is gone, I'll probably, I've tried to get WEEI um, candidly to try to, you know, over the years, I've tried to get them to let me either have a role on the show that featured Belichick because. I could, I, you know, we did have a unique rapport, um, but it just never worked out where I was able to really get back in front of him or interview him ever again. So it'd be a bummer if he does leave and I'll never get a chance to interview him again or ask him any other questions, but I made the most of it when I did have the chance. For fascinating and a great transition. Uh, shout out to our sponsor at Live Take. Let's get into some takes with uh, Mark Dundero here, WEI. Um, and let's talk about Belichick, his his future, regardless of kind of what happens here in the immediate future. Just overall, do you think you could see him coaching in a different part of the country or is he just loving Nantucket life too much? If you had to, if I had to pick, I would say he is not going to coach anywhere else. I think this might be it. Um but I, you know, never say never. I could see it. I just don't think I would bet on that. Yes, if it was the right situation, especially an organization that had an established quarterback and maybe yeah. a team that was ready to win, I could see him doing that. I don't see it being a good situation going to an organization where he'd have to build it up from the ground again 
or start over or re- whatever, rebuild. I don't think that would be a thing he should be interested in at this point from my perspective. But yeah, if it was a situation where quarterback ready, they've been close, good defense, they just need a little tweak, maybe he could end up there. But I would think he would not do that and probably just either be involved with football in some capacity, um, maybe the media, dare I say, or maybe in, in an organization as a consultant of some sort, maybe with Navy, I don't know. Um, but I don't know if he's going to, if I would bet on him coaching in the NFL again. I just, I don't know if he has the bandwidth for it at this point at his age and given what situations may or may not be out there. Yeah, definitely. Especially you have to consider his age and where he's at in life too. So I, I agree with that. Let's uh, skip to a couple other Boston sports teams. Uh, you know, I'm down here in Texas and I get a lot of people asking about the Red Sox. And my general take, and, and I want to le- I want to ask if you agree with it or not, is I just feel like in this new era, they're just a little too cheap on the market. Is that an old school thought process? The word the Red Sox just aren't spending enough to get the big guys and they're always in on talks but never actually sign anybody? Or, or is there something more to what the Red Sox are doing right now? I think that's the crux of it. I just don't think they're aggressive enough. They've, it seems like they've shifted their philosophy and some of their core principles. And, you know, they're just not getting it done the way they used to. Simple as that. And some of the guys, the young guys who may still have a lot of promise attached to their games and their names, um, haven't shown it yet. So we'll see where they go. Craig Breslow is supposed to be some sort of pitching guru. So we'll see if they can cultivate mm, any pitching to yeah. come out of the farm. But I think it just comes down to your big market team. You have money to spend. You have money that you can make to spend, and they're not doing it. And that's a big part of – I mean, the Red Sox, an organization like that, can essentially buy themselves um, or buy their way into contention every year. doesn't mean they're going to win the World Series, but they could buy the talent to get them into relevancy every year, and they're not doing that. And They're trying to go to the bargain basement and shop at these places that don't really – um, pay dividends or are conducive to the way that you used to shop and it's hurt them. So I'd like to think that they're somewhat in a position to turn it around or be more aggressive. I just, we haven't seen it to this point. Definitely. Yeah. So that's the Sox and the Celtics real quick. Quick, I wanted to ask you because you have a phenomenal uh, take that you brought up on the air in the past. I just want you to explain to everyone uh, your uh, what if moment in Boston sports regarding the Celtics and Tim Duncan. Explain that what if moment that you talk about a lot. Well, I mean, if if they got Tim Duncan, it would just be fascinating to know where this organization would have been because those were some right. lean years that they that they didn't enjoy or that they experienced because of the way the draft lottery went. Um, and it's just it's it's interesting to think about where it could have gone or what the organization could, especially when you think about you consider the success Duncan had not just on the court with the Spurs, but from a culture standpoint, how he created a lasting culture. And by the way, a culture that Greg Popovich benefited from immensely and is now completely different versus the way Belichick has been treated here in New England. It's really Mm. interesting. Belichick is getting crushed. And I don't see Greg Popovich get crushed the way Belichick gets crushed, despite the fact that the Spurs are basically just as bad as the Patriots, absent their star, Tim Duncan. Um and, you know, obviously Kawhi Leonard left town and he's he bolted San Antonio. So there was a few different things there that didn't go Popovich's way, but he doesn't get crushed. So that's one thing with the Celtics. The other thing, I love where they are now. I think the question, though, still remains Tatum and Brown. They have proven that they have an ability to get in their own head in the playoffs and in big moments. I'd like to think the emergence and the presence of Chris Stapps, Porzingis and Drew Holiday and how Derek White has played is going to help them get over that mental hurdle. 
but that is still the question mark to me. And fair or not, until they win it, and I get it's a high bar, and it doesn't mean they're not great players, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They are. But until they win it, it's hard to win a professional sports championship. I, I just question whether or not that that mental hurdle, that that ability I didn't even want to call it an ability, but that tendency to get locked up and get in your own head in big spots and go cold and, and become inconsistent, if that will be the big thing that becomes, once again, their downfall in May and June, or if the core they have intact will be good enough in totality to get them over the hump with Tatum, with Brown, to win a championship. Yeah, very interesting takes indeed on Boston sports there. Again, we're thanking Mark Dundero for hopping on. Mark and Kitchen, WEI. You can check him out on socials as well. Let's just get to some quick shot questions before we wrap up. Um, I know you're a golfer, like you mentioned earlier. Golf's in a little bit of a mess right now. Just give me a 30-second prediction as to maybe what this whole live PGA Tour mess looks like, let's say, a year from now. What do you think? I think they're going to they're gonna find some sort of common ground. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for all the PGA Tour guys that did not take that big money, that big payday for Liv. Do I like Liv? I mean, I have never had a problem with Liv. I like the fact that they're exposing a lot of the PGA Tour uh, deficiencies. What I don't like about it is that it's divided the tour. I like to watch the Players' Championship. The fact that a lot of them are now not in that tournament sucks yeah. for me. Um, the field stinks now I, when you look at regular PGA Tour. The field isn't not nearly as, as, as compelling as it used to be. It used to be one of the best fields in golf. So the fact that they're it feels like working towards some type of common ground makes me happy. Rory McIlroy talking the way he's talking now makes me happy. I want the best players all playing against each other in the same tournaments. That's what's best for the game of golf. So that's what I'm rooting for. Definitely. Uh, some random ones I wanted to get to. Uh, let's get back to our generation a little bit because I, I could tell by what, what things you post on social that we're definitely on the same wavelengths. Uh, favorite like throwback video game, and I'm talking about that juicy like N64 era from, from our childhood. Oh, boy. Uh, if, if you're talking N64, I'll tell you the game I used to love, love. Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest. Do you remember that one? It was like yes. you could do the oh, code where me. Griffey would – he would point towards the outfield and you'd hit it out every time. Uh, that was probably my favorite game from that generation in terms of sports games. I loved all the NBA Jam games. Um, if you want to go a little bit further along, the 2001 area in that range was NBA Street. I referenced it. That was probably my favorite game of all time because when you were on N64, I remember they had NBA Hang Time, NBA Jam, and I'd always search for the street court, the playground court. Maybe this is why I ended up playing at Rucker Park makes sense but now, it yeah. was just it, it was I always thought it was cool to play in the game outside of the gyms and the arenas on those street courts when they came out with an entire game filled with it I was like this is life-changing so that was probably my favorite individual game of all time my favorite game series of all time NCAA football 2001 to you know that range of NCAA football games I loved the old NCAA football games from that generation um, and yeah, I'm hearing really they're trying to finally games. bring that back, right? After a they're long trying to layoff. bring it back, but the, that would be fun. But college football is such a huge disaster right now. I don't know how interested in the game I would be. Honestly, I'd probably have yeah. to check it out. But the conference realignment, the twelve team, like I mean, the playoff would be cool. I just, I'm not sure if I get the sensation that I got back in the day playing the game where you had to win every single game in the season in order to make the national championship. Now you wouldn't have to do that if you played a season with a, with a 12 team playoff, you could lose two or three games, make the tournament, make the, you know, all those things. So I don't know if I'd like it as much, but I used to love 
love those NCAA football video games. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what that reincarnation uh, looks like. And then one other throwback thing I want to touch on to you is uh, give me your favorite memory from the old Foxborough Stadium. I was a 10 or 11-year-old boy getting squished by drunken fans and probably saw a lot more than I needed to at that age uh, from the the debauchery and behavior in the 200 sections there. Uh, But what's your favorite memory from the old Foxborough Stadium, Patriots? I mean – my being there or watching, I mean, the, my favorite memory, obviously, is just watching. I wasn't at the snowball, but I watched the, you know, that was awesome to see and to close out the stadium in that way was awesome. Personally, though, I was at the game. You think about it, you'll remember it. It was the game that started that run. It was against the Saints. It was like the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It was a rainy night. And the Patriots that. at the time were five and five. They won that game against Aaron Brooks, Ricky Williams, and the Saints. I think Ricky was still on the Saints at that time. And they never lost again. And it was that night in the rain um, and, and just seeing it at the old Foxborough Stadium. You know, that was the only time I think I was actually at the old Foxborough Stadium, I think, inside of Very it. Cool. But it was yeah. that was an awesome moment to, to be there at that game in that season and to say you're at the game that kind of started the run. Like I said, they didn't lose again that year. Um, that was awesome. That was an awesome night. Yeah, Mark. Blessed to say, I was at every single one of those 2001 games. Central at Stadium. Really? What? An, wow. What an amazing year! Yeah, even man, even the, the Raiders game. Even the Raiders game. Yep. Wow. Great memories, Wild. man. Mark, let's wrap with our 19th hole question, which we ask all our guests on the show here. Uh, when you get in from around, whether it's at Pebble Beach or just your favorite local course, what's your favorite thing to order at the 19th hole? Your your go to meal and drink order. Yeah, honestly, it's just chicken and beer. I think at that point I've deserved, I've earned some like chicken fry, fried chicken and beer. I think it's a great combination. It's not a combination I enjoy all that often. So I try to go with that if I'm at the 19th hole or having a dinner after the round. It's some semblance of chicken nuggets or chicken wings and a, and a tall one with the beer. Yeah. You can't go wrong. You, you, you just walk the course. You, you earn the carbs, Mark. Great answer there. And thanks because again honestly, for hopping you know on what the else? podcast. Too. No, no problem. You know what? I just, when I'm playing, I'm so into the round. I don't do a great job of enjoying like a dog at the turn. Like I don't mm, eat a lot during yeah. the round. So I'm usually really um, ready for a, a, you know, some sort of food afterwards. So that's sort of my, my approach. We're all about that 19th hole. Mark, next time I'm in New England, we'll be sure to catch up. But thanks for hopping on, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Alex. A pleasure. Course of Life podcast is brought to you by Zencaster. We've been using Zencaster here since almost the very beginning as how Alex and I record this podcast from hundreds of miles away. And it provides us with great quality audio that works every time. And it's something that makes Course of Life what it is and has kept us being able to make consistent episodes every week. And now it's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. You record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. You feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. 
And if you ever wondered what you actually sound like, Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs in your recording. It removes those awkward pauses in conversation too. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with the click of a button. Head on over to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our promo code COURSEOFLIFE to get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of your podcasting and content needs. Again, that's Zencaster.com slash pricing and our promo code COURSEOFLIFE. Zencaster, it's time to share your story. And we're back. Great chat there with Mark. Love to hear him getting in the fun questions with Coach Belichick, who is probably the most deadpan coach in all professional sports. Oh, it's like watching paint dry, listening to a Bill Belichick <laughs> press conference. It is so utterly boring. He never gives anything away. So when you hear someone like Mark hop on the mic and ask him a question, like getting wild, like about getting wild at a Springsteen concert and, and deducing just some level of humanity from Bill Belichick, it's a win for journalists and media members around the world. So I appreciate what Mark does, and hopefully we hear a lot more of him on WEI. And if you don't have a conversation with Mark plus everything else we do here on this podcast, make sure you punch that subscribe button on the app you're using right now. Now. Uh, leave us a rating. Uh, four stars is ideal. Three and less is okay. If you're not going to leave us any stars, then go listen to some other podcast. I don't, I don't really want you anymore. Uh, but I'm going to give you a second to do that right now okay um make sure you're following us on instagram thread see all podcast course of life alex mwrinc he's on x i don't know why you're still on x alex but you are course i love it over there people are so disturbed i love it youtube spotify apple iHeartRadio, all the fun stuff and of course check out always end with food for our food content on instagram as well let's uh talk more football let's uh let let's let's give each of us a little bit of time 30 seconds for eulogies on our teams the season is over alex i'll let you lead the way patriots eulogy go Season three of Mac Jones was supposed to be a crescendo to something amazing. It's supposed to be the year when you find out that your first round quarterback is everything you want him to be. And that whole plan couldn't have fallen flatter on our face. We benched him a whopping four times during the season with a mismanaged coaching staff that couldn't draft correctly, couldn't bring the right free agents in to support any sort of offensive production at all. And it was the saddest Patriots season in... 20 plus years. So four and 13, it is ending with a snowball loss to the jets. The one team that we could always beat, even in our worst of times was the jets. And we lose to them a, a fitting end to what was just a, a disastrous season. Fox, bro. You know, your disastrous season, uh, was worse statistically than my giants. Okay. But my giants locked in our our first round draft pick for quarterback, Daniel Jones, for a four-year, 
$160 million. And then he went ahead and tore his ACL in November and was gone for the rest of the season. Not let it matter. He sucked all the way up until then. The team was one of the worst displays of football many people have seen in New York in a long time. And then they had the audacity to win the final game against the Eagles, hurting their draft position. And uh, I just need to wonder uh, why I should even be a Giants fan anymore. Just, just why? Yeah. Painful, <laughs> painful level of mediocrity there. It's like, you know, if you're going to go down, go down hard and, yeah. and, and get the best possible draft position. But you guys winning that last one, that means absolutely nothing to you at the very yeah. end at the finish line <laughs> uh, to lose your draft stock status. Um, yep. That's typical Giants for you, isn't it? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Good luck it's, with it's just, do, do you think let at the very least Bill Belichick had the foresight to make sure his team lost down the stretch? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah. Crazy times. Crazy times for both of us. A season that we both will be putting behind us immediately, immediately. starting right now as we transition to the playoffs. Let's just do our just gut reaction picks here. Wild card weekend. First, we get the Browns and the Texans hosting Saturday afternoon. A lot of people like Joe Flacco and the Browns here. I'm sticking with CJ Stroud and the Texans. I think they get it done at home. No, I'm going with the Browns all day. Okay, and then it's Dolphins, Chiefs. This is an interesting one, Mike. This is the Peacock game. The first NFL playoff game exclusively streaming only. Saturday night, Taylor Swift will be there for sure. Uh, I'm going Chiefs in the end by a score. I feel like the NFL, they love the script of moving the Chiefs as far as they can in the playoffs. I'm sorry. I hate Patrick Mahomes and his super high forehead in that helmet. I'm going Dolphins <laughs> the whole I love way. that. <laughs> Fins up for Mike. And then Steelers, Bills, Bills, big favorites coming off a big win against Miami. Steelers, all you need to know, Mike, is the Steelers lost the Patriots this year. That, that's all you need to know. I love the Bills. The Steelers lost the Patriots, and the only reason the Steelers are in is because the Jacksonville Jaguars had one of the worst collapses in NFL history. And that's why the they're Steelers so, are there. So, yeah, they're so good at that. And then, all right, the NFC juicy matchup Packers, Cowboys, two iconic franchises. Do the Cowboys fart all over themselves again in the playoffs, or is this team for real? I'm saying they're for real for at least this week. I like the Cowboys. I, in no way possible, can root for the Cowboys. <laughs> so, it's yeah. Green Bay all the way here. The one that's a complete toss-up, literally nobody knows. Interesting narrative that you'll appreciate. Rams quarterback Matt Stafford playing against his former team, the Lions. Former Rams quarterback Jared Goff starting for the Lions. Two quarterbacks playing their former teams. Complete coin flip. I'll take the Lions at home. Yeah, I'm going to take the Lions because I just continually feel bad for Detroit. So Definitely. And I'm going to go with... The Eagles over the Bucks in the Monday Nighter. Uh, busy next Monday night. Uh, b- b- by the way, we we got the Iowa caucuses uh, Monday night playoff game and the uh, Emmys all in one night. So busy night there. I'll take the Eagles in the final wild card game. Though. I say the Eagles continue their fantastical collapse and the Bucks squeeze out a win. That would be funny if that happens. So that's the uh, the NFL playoffs there in a minute or two. Best of luck to everyone there in wild card weekend. All right, let's hashtag always end with food. Yep, food segment to end every Course of Life podcast, our 19th whole content incoming right now. Uh, the quick January diet update, we touched on it at the top, but it's pretty much low to no carbs. I get one nice carb-heavy meal with the Sunday pasta dinner, but other than that, the bread is gone, Mike. It's sad, and, and your stomach just has this incomprehensible rut in it. it. It knows it's missing out on something really, really good, and I'm just depriving myself, um, but it's working so far. So we're one week in and, and a couple weeks to go on the diet. All right. I'm happy for you. 
Thanks. It's, it's over you. soon. It's not very long, people out there. You think I'm powering through for like months? No, not at all. This is like a 21, 25 day diet here. I'll see you. I'll see you, party animals, at the end of January. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I I think it's time to to announce something that happens to be corresponding with the New Year's, but it's not a New Year's resolution. Okay. I just want to put that out there because people right. are going to say it is. Uh, I I've decided let. Um, I'm tired of my wife saying every time we watch a baking show that I should make that, whatever that is on the screen at the time. Uh, so every month this year, I'm going to challenge myself and bake something I've never baked before. I love that. I'm, I'm here to, to showcase it to our audience at Always In With Food <laughs> on Instagram as well, too. Ha- has anything come across yet? I've watched uh, one episode of Kids Baking so far this year, but I, I wasn't too inspired. I was actually half asleep for it. So what do you think could be first on the well, menu here? So I can tell you what's going to be first on the menu. It's going to be something that is simple, uh, but it's going to come down to what flavors I decide to do in it. And that is just a simple classic eclair. Oh, yes. Timeless. And, yeah. and, you know, you got, you got to, it's okay to play the hits right off the bat. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. So, so yeah. an eclair absolutely fits the vibe to start the challenge. Uh, so I look forward to seeing Mike's eclair again at always and with food. You can check him out at MWRINC on Instagram. I'm at Course of Life Alex. And that's a wrap on this week's Course of Life podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe right now if you already haven't. Until then, have a good week.